let's move on. Today we are going to talk about enjoying all of life, the good and the bad. And I immediately thought about you because in all seriousness, you do a lot of thinking about this and you walk a lot of people through some tough stuff. You know, you and I both counsel a lot of, a lot of people and couples and families that go through very difficult times. So we walk through some things, but moreover, we walk through families through some really tough stuff. So we're going to start our time together with a little dialogue. Yeah. And then we're going to end our time with Dion, kind of learning from the black church experience and what an incredibly rich culture that is, dealing with struggles and difficult circumstances, yet not losing our joy. So it's going to be a good Sunday. Yeah, it is. I'm and and it. you're right. This is something we talk so much about because yeah. we are on a journey together with so many people. And we just know that, man, life happens and it is difficult. And so, yeah, yeah. I'm excited about this topic and hopefully giving some hope and perspective for yeah. people here Yeah, so today. tell us about some yeah. of the work you've done and the reading and the counseling you've done. Yeah. Give well, us the insights. Uh, yeah. Well, you know what? You kind of <laughs> talked about, yeah, I've done a lot of work in this case. And I don't know if I've done a lot of work, but when you go through difficulties yourself and you walk with other people going through it, I think we've all probably done a lot of work in this area. Because if any of you have lived life for any matter of time, you've gone through it. And so that's the work we do. The work we do is just wondering, questioning, thinking, trying to figure out what all this is about. One of the fascinating things I found, I found in my own life as well and a lot of people that I work with, is the idea that oftentimes when something's going on out there, I don't question things as much. But if the same thing goes on here, everything changes. Oh, yeah. Have you guys found that to be true? I mean, I could be watching the news. I could be looking at it. Oh, man, look at all this and going on with my life. But man, when it happens to us, everything shifts. Everything changes. And it's a lot easier to deal with, man. Oh, man, look what's going on over there. And man, the depths of feeling and questioning when it's like, what's going on in here is huge. Stuff, yeah. So one of the things that I have found that I think is really important is this, is that accepting that life is uncertain is a very important step in learning to enjoy the journey. Accepting that it's uncertain accepting the reality of what we have going on around us. If anyone has ever read the Bible, <laughs> right? It is not a book chock full of everything going right. As a matter of fact, the opposite is true. Every book, every letter is written to people that are suffering, going through circumstances, being oppressed, being taken over. I mean, that is what the Bible is about. It's about struggle. It's about loss. It's about difficulty. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So he just tells us that's what's going on. And it's not that accepting struggle means it's not going to be difficult. <laughs> you know, I think a lot of times when we come to a subject like that, you're all, give me the way to think about this that I don't struggle anymore. Come and try to make this better. I get people coming to talk to me a lot and all of a sudden I realize, I'm like, are you trying to come meet with me so that like you're not gonna hurt anymore based on this incredible loss that you have? Yeah, I heard of someone tell you a long time ago, you can't fix normal. And normal is difficult. Normal is things happen. And so we're not here to have you walk away going, oh man, I'm never gonna struggle through anything anymore, but we're gonna hopefully learn a little bit about how we can enjoy a little bit more through it. But. We live in a country, right? And you could say kind of like a, an American idea that we're not about accepting. We actually, I think, struggle with expecting right. everything to go perfect. Correct. And so that's hard, hard to accept when right. you're expecting something different. And that is absolutely true. It's not only a uniquely American problem, which has been studied, I mean, a thousand times studied. This is a, an American problem. We expect things to go well. So when things don't go well, a lot of us collapse emotionally. But it's not just about America. 
It's about Temecula, Marietta, California. <laughs> I mean, we've called this place Disneyland a lot, and that has really, you know, taken root, yeah. that people call this Disneyland, because things tend to go really well for us. Here we are, a middle-class community. We worship the ground our kids walk on, so our kids can't go through any problems at, you know, at their school or with their friends. Parents got to step in and make sure nobody experiences a problem. Nobody experiences hurt. Nobody experiences disappointment. Kids want something, you buy it, right? That's the life we lead, and it's a one-of-a-kind life, more prosperity than has ever been experienced at any time in human history. So here we are, we have the expectation that things are actually going to work well. And when they don't, there's got to be some easy fix, right? Mm -hmm. And so the American culture has this prosperity message. In fact, there was a great book written 30 years ago called Peddling Prosperity. 30 years ago, this gentleman was waving a red flag saying, I think America is going to have a real culture problem here if we expect things to go well, if we expect things to be prosperous, because anything turns sideways, we will collapse. And so he talked about sort of this idea that in America, there's this uh, prosperity peddling. Like if there's a problem, there's an easy fix. Here's a surefire investment. Here's some quick money here, right? Even in our own time, uh, cryptocurrency, which took off and then collapsed. <laughs> fortune favors the brave, right? Quick fortune right here and right now. If you've got any kind of ailment of any kind, there is a pill for you. There's a hundred pills for you. The supplement industry and pharmaceutical industry, we are 4% of the population that consumes over one third of the pills in America. And so there's something about that idea that I need a fix and I need a fix right now because you I know, expect things to work. And we are so into that, that we're starting out with this fear-based thing nowadays. Right. Anything when you're talking about looking at, you're not doing this right, so you need to do this right. different. So we're, we're peddling the fear to sell our product. And Absolutely. so it is a fear-driven to an expectation. If you take this, do this. I remember one of my workout things made me think like, you don't do a push-up right. I better buy your program. <laughs> what does he tell you to do? Push-ups. And you're sitting there going, it's the same thing, right? But he yeah. starts with fear, makes me give my card, and then I find out there's nothing new under the sun. But I've seen you do push-ups and they stay. I need to your figure te- out your technique. Yeah, your it technique. didn't help me. That's the problem. It didn't help me, yeah. <laughs> so the prosperity expectation in America is a significant reality that we all really live in. And here's the conclusion from 30 years ago from this author. Prosperity promises solve nothing and leave a mountain of debt and disappointment. <laughs> if we look at our own lives, it's like all this reaching after prosperity, prosperity, oftentimes what we're left with is a mountain of debt and disappointment. There is something better that we can achieve here that's not about the next thing working out for me or the expectation that it's gonna work out for me. However, the worst of all this, the worst of this prosperity doctrine is right here in church. It's the worst. You go to a lot of churches, a lot of church environments, a lot of religious communities, and you will get a prosperity doctrine. And here's how it goes. And you might have heard this, and honestly, you might even believe this. And I'm asking you, if you believe this stuff, maybe today just take a step back and and, and think, is this the healthiest, best way to think? Here's what you hear in a lot of church environments. God is a good God, so be a good person, and a good God will give you good things. That's the formula. We hear it all the time. Or maybe this, pray sincerely and God will answer. Or perhaps give generously and God will give it generously back to you. Have you heard that before? Have the right faith without doubt and God will give you what you ask for. This is just standard religious fare. My life's not going the way I expect it to go, so maybe there's something I can give to God or do for God to make him solve my problems. The problem is that's just not how it works. Mm -hmm. 
And so when you and I are, are counseling with people who have been ma- raised in a church environment with this kind of prosperity around it, it's like, where is God? What did God do? Why didn't he fix this? Or maybe I did something wrong because the formula doesn't work in real life. But listen to this in 2 Peter 2, 3. This is as old as time, right? This is 2,000 years ago. The apostle Peter is warning. There are people that he called clever liars who are gonna be peddling prosperity and using the name of God to peddle prosperity, to make money for themselves. In their greed, they will make up clever lies to get a hold of your money. But God condemned them long ago. In other words, God settled this long ago. As Steve said, the whole Bible is written around God working in and through people who are struggling, never quickly solving their problem. In fact, we follow Jesus who was crucified. He suffered and was crucified. We follow a suffering savior and yet we expect us not to suffer. It doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, this, this week I was reading a book and the question in the book was, you know, why is this happening to me? And the author of the book, this was his answer. Well, did you pray enough before you made this decision to marry this person? Did you pray enough before you took on this job? And I just was like, oh my goodness, here's a poor person suffering. And the answer is you didn't do something right. So God couldn't make it right. And it's terrible. I was just like, yeah. <laughs> actually I closed it and tossed it. But other <laughs> good, than that, good, good. you know, yeah. So I'm going to give you one of the most profound theological <laughs> statements ever made. It's one of the most profound theological statements ever made. You've heard it before. I'm going to give you the five-letter word version of it. Ready? Here it is. <laughs> Quickly, next slide, next yeah, slide, no, next slide. Yeah. Five-letter, yeah. five-letter version. Stuff what happens. What are they thinking? What kind of church? I don't know. Man, come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm not kidding you. That is one of the most profound theological statements ever written. It was first written in American culture in 1983, and we immediately adopted it shirts, bumper stickers, everything. Because if we just can live in that healthy understanding, that healthy expectation that, you know what, sometimes life just goes sideways and it's just the way it is. There may not be some cosmic formula that we all have to figure out. There may not be some systems where we can kind of unlock the goodness of God to give good things to this good person. Maybe we just say, you know what, stuff happens. Stuff happens and sometimes there's a rhyme and a reason for it, but sometimes there's just not. There's not. And here's the hard truth, right? Here's the hard truth. God never promised life would be easy. It's not in there. So sit on that one, right? God doesn't always answer our prayers in the way we'd like. Any of you experienced that before? Just didn't quite happen the way we wanted to. God doesn't reward the good and punish the bad in this life. Bad things happen to good people. Good things happen to bad people. Bad things just happen often without any understandable explanation. And and on this list, I understand it could be frustrating, right? It could be frustrating when we're looking for the answers, when we want a definitive answer. Again, like I mentioned earlier, we want an answer that's going to take it away. We want an answer that's going to take away that this is just hard and there's just no answers like that. So it could be frustrating, but it's all over the Bible. I mean, you read through the Psalms and there's one Psalm in particular that just stands out in Psalm 73. Listen to this and tell me if you ever felt this before. What does God know, they asked. Does the Most High even know what's happening? Have you ever felt that way? Does God even know what's going on? You know, or your prayers have to become so detailed because you're informing him. (laughs) You know, I don't know if you know what's going on here, you know, but let me tell you, look at those wicked people enjoying a life of ease while their riches multiply. Did I keep my heart pure for nothing? 
Have I tried to live this life the way that God wanted me to, but I'm not seeing the prosperity? Did I keep myself innocent for no reason? I get nothing but trouble all day long and every morning brings me pain. This is, this is what they wrestled with. This is what the Bible is full of. The reality that the question will never go away, right? Why do good things happen to bad people? Why do bad things happen to good people? They have been asking this question forever. You know, I can imagine people in a cave wondering why is T-Rex sitting outside my cave and not outside the Jones's cave over there. Dinosaurs you know? and men did not walk together on the earth, Steve. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, you got to get over that one. From a few weeks ago, I'm not too sure <laughs> what you think about all that. But, it, you know, so, but these are difficult questions. Frustrating sometimes when we can't get answers to it. And maybe, maybe just the healthiest way to deal with it is just to accept that stuff happens that good things happen, that bad things happen, happens to good people, happens to bad people, it just happens to everyone. And trying to connect the dots, trying to figure this out can really, it could drive us crazy. It could cause a lot of emotional harm, you know? It could make us have crisis of faith like nothing else. The most faithful can be rocked when things don't go the way that they wanted to. So this is complex and this is a mystery and the mystery is probably never gonna go away, but it's the reality of what we have in front of us. 100%, and if we can just own the reality with an open hand that God, things happen, things come our way, things come that are good, that are bad, sometimes without explanation or reason, sometimes we don't know the answer and we can't connect the dots. And for us to be kind of okay that it still hurts, but I don't have to have my faith break down because I have this belief that God was somehow obligated to make sure only good things happen to me. I put uh, struggles and suffering into, into three categories, and, and no doubt you've experienced one of these three or multiple. Um, the first is natural disasters. Natural disasters. These are kind of frustrating because the earth shakes underneath us, disaster strikes or a hurricane blows, towns, cities, families are wiped out, and this just came from, from nature itself, and it feels very ominous because we can't control this. These are the things we cannot control. You know, a volcano that wipes out a, a city, that volcano was destined to erupt for 13.8 billion years, people. It's just gonna happen. Um, there was uh, an earthquake in, in Haiti, this is several years ago, about a decade ago. And I remember mainstream evangelical Christian leaders came out and said on television that this earthquake struck because God was punishing the people of Haiti for their religious practices. How hor- this is the damage that can be called, not just in terms of per- cause, but yeah. not just in terms of our personal faith, but the entire faith itself can be horrifically and negatively impacted because we look at a natural disaster and say, well, oh, God did that to punish because we need answers. Almost a quarter million Haitians died. And I happen to know exactly why that earthquake happened. I said it at the time and I'll say it again. The reason why that earthquake happened is because two pressurized tectonic plates slipped. That's the reason why it happened. Why did Hurricane Ian hit Florida? Well, there's weather cycles and systems that we still to this day can't even understand fully or predict fully. Nature is just working and working and working. And when the cosmos inflated 13.8 billion years ago, things were set in motion. Solar systems, planets, tectonic plates set in motion. Nothing can stop that. And there isn't a reason for it all. That's hard to kind of wrap our heads around sometimes. Then there are human disasters, human disasters. These are the things people do to hurt people. And this is kind of understandable, right? Putin decides, one person decides to invade Ukraine for his own power trip and millions are displaced. 
and tens of thousands lose their lives and it continues and continues. And the whole world is under threat right now because one person made a decision. This is human disasters. These are the disasters of an intoxicated person gets behind a wheel and destroys a life. This is a criminal deciding I'm gonna perpetrate violence against another person. And it is horrifically unjust and, it, and we feel the injustice of that. But sometimes at least we can make some sense. An evil person did this, but the feeling is terribly unjust. Mm -hmm. Then there are circumstantial disasters. These are just the things that aren't necessarily, you know, by nature, but they're just the circumstances, happenstance of life. Uh, a disease that gets spread, a medical diagnosis, a, a random accident that seems to just happen, or just getting old, like Steve is. <laughs> just getting old. Um, actually, you look great for being, I, what, 60? I don't, I, don't even, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I lost my train of thought. That starts happening now. But seriously, you know, we're, we're, we're all... <laughs> We're all just getting old and things just happen, right? It's just the circumstances of life. Natural disasters, human disasters, circumstantial disasters. What if we expected these things to happen? What if we lived our lives thinking, you know what? I'll probably experience a natural disaster, human disaster, or circumstantial disaster. And God, it's going to hurt. But would you make me kind of strong? And would you make me kind of faithful? And would you help me to rely on others and not collapse? Would you help me? And, and I think if we can expect that life is the way it is and that stuff happens, I think we'll be better off. Yeah. You know, one of the things we talk about too, and we just want to make this clear, like we know that some of you are going through things we can't even understand. You know, we, we kind of joke about things like I had to golf on Friday and it took me five and a half hours. That is terrible. And, and we're sitting out there going like, what is going on? All of a sudden I just sit there and say, wait, I'm just, this is not the worst suffering in the world. <laughs> You know, but how many times do we lose it in situations like that, right? So there is a reality, you know, like my wife's lotion that she always gets every year. All of a sudden they change that fragrance and it's the end of the world, you know? What are they thinking? But we don't want to underplay that there are some of you that are going through terrible, terrible things, you know? But, you know, when life happens and when difficulties happen, all of a sudden the hobby of thinking about where is God during hardships becomes real, doesn't it? It becomes real. It's a whole different ballgame. Uh, earlier this year, I actually did a class of four yeah. different views of where is God during hardships. And we kind of looked at these four major views. And it was a views that all have biblical backing. You'll think of verses that might be opposed to a certain view that we talked about. We didn't land on anything because I don't know how to land on anything way above my pay scale to understand this. But it was a lot of fun. And here's some of the views that we went through. Number one, the prosperity view. You already talked about that a little earlier. Now, don't mistake the prosperity view with like, if I'm faithful, I'm going to drive a Rolls Royce. We hear about that on TV. Right. We see that on some preachers on TV. Just the idea that, oh, God opened the door when he closes a window. I got this job. Oh, I bought this wonderful house. And if God just came through, that could be a very prosperity kind of view. And there are verses, without a doubt, that we can cling on to and other verses that we struggle with, you know? And so some people, that brings great comfort because you're living the American dream. To other faithful people, that's a disastrous way of thinking. If I did this, then God would do that. We looked at that from all different angles. There's another view, cause, God causes view. If you have any Calvinistic friends, which I used to be a Calvinistic friend to people, God causes everything, right? God caused this, God, there's nothing. A matter of fact, you might just hear like a flippant thing. Oh, don't worry about God's in control of everything. Again, that could cause some comfort to some and that could be devastating to others. 
the idea that God causes. And you can, maybe some of you are thinking of the verse, of course he does, think of this verse. And then other of you are thinking verses where God changed his mind. There's a lot of different ways of looking at that, you know? So you have, you know, that view too. There's also a view that's more of God allows, right? So God's not actually causing, but he's allowing. You see in Joseph, for instance, in Genesis, you have that idea of, you know, what you meant for this, God's gonna use for this. So he can allow things for this better. It becomes very mysterious, which we talked about. It is mysterious, right? So a lot of mystery starts being talked about when it's either God causes or God allows. It's a talk that there must be something better. There's a good you don't see. And both of those, you know, there is, again, comfort for many in that kind of idea. But some, that just doesn't sit well. And, and so you're journeying with Why that. it doesn't sit well is because the God causes and God allows views are ultimately kind of the same thing. Um, so just for example, if, if um, you know, somebody is hit by a car, well, did God actually cause that person to be hit by a car? Almost like mystically push that person into a car. I talked to a person last service who was actually hit by a car and he's still all banged up. And he goes, I found that funny. I'm like, well, good for you. But, uh, or does somebody say, hey, I'm going to push this person in front of a car and God just says, well, I'll allow it. There's still sort of the culpability there. So both of these are equally kind of difficult. So how do we reconcile that God is good, yet he is sovereign? Well, maybe there's a different view of sovereignty, which is that fourth view, right? Yeah. So the fourth view that we look at, and again, these all have very historical Mm -hmm. uh, teachings and biblical is a God can't view. It's an idea that God can't do anything that he wants. He's actually bound by his uncoercive, unconditional love and to walk alongside, you know, and not to intervene, you know, that he actually, it's not that he's choosing not to, but he actually can't. And there's a bunch of verses that talk about God can't do this and God can't tempt and God can't go against his nature. So there's, there's that view, you know, it kind of opens the door to a little bit more of man's free will. You know, that that we're free, we're relational. God's, you know, more relational than just this ominous being overlooking. And I would say that this was the view that a lot of people in our class, like, we've never really heard of that. A lot of interesting stuff being written and talked about. But all those are views that leave some people with a lot of hope and some people with a lot of frustration. Doesn't matter what group. Now, one of the guys in our group was like going, here's my conclusion. I wish there was more options. (laughs) And, you know, actually what he said, I wish there was more options options, I feel more uh, uncertain than I ever have, and I feel more at peace, which is really cool, you know, because he learned to accept as we walk through this class. But there was a couple things we came to a conclusion in this class that we feel all of them align with. Number one, we do believe that our decisions matter. (laughs) Even if you believe that God causes everything, just know that what you decide makes a difference in people's lives, right? Even if it is God telling you to lift your right arm and he just told me to do it again. I don't know how all that works, right? So that's one that all the views land. We also believe that you can grow in difficulties. I mean, any of you grew through difficulties? (laughs) You know, right? That's where we grow the most. And so that's another thing. But the one that really stood out to us was this idea of a God with us view. That's something we narrowed in on. That whatever view you hold in this or any other views, or you don't know any what one to do, is that there is a reality that God is with us in each and every one of these views. In the book of Hebrews chapter 13, it says, God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. And so there is that which we narrowed on and we, no matter where we look and none of us is gonna get us out of the problems and the circumstances, but the belief that God can is pretty powerful. I am not certain 
how God works in all of this stuff. And, but I do deeply believe, or I have faith that he's always with us. You mentioned Jesus going to the cross. He suffered so that he could empathize with us. We have a God that actually entered this human history and suffered just like we do so that he can walk alongside us in our suffering so he can weep when we weep and hurt when we hurt, those kind of things. So he feels our pains and he can empower us to experience peace even in the midst of the uncertainty, no matter which view you land on. That verse I looked at earlier in John 16, look at the whole thing. I've told you these things so that in me you have peace, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus is teaching, man, we got to accept, right? We got to accept, and we got to know that he's overcome, that he's with us, that he can empower us, that he can help us get through things. And I'm telling you, that to me is more powerful than him changing everything, because it sort of seems like whenever he changed, we were talking about Lazarus being raised from the dead this week, and he ended up dying. Did you know that? <laughs> <laughs> he rose from the dead and then died again, you know? And so these kind of realities are short-lived because life keeps happening. But when you can begin to trust that he's with us. So I still try to, I still struggle a lot trying to figure out which view is right. I don't think I'm ever gonna stop wrestling with this, but this is what I've learned, is that I've learned to enjoy the journey, but more by accepting the uncertainty and trusting that God is always with me has been a journey of joy for me and being able to be a little bit more in today and find a little more joy in the midst of it. Well, dude, I appreciate it. You've helped so many people through this. Thank you, and we appreciate you, Steve. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. A lot of us in the middle of the night or reading deep books of theology can wrestle through this or we're experiencing pain and we're really struggling at an emotional level. But I wanna simplify it before we bring up uh, Pastor Dion here to, to close this out. I wanna simplify this because a lot of times we wrestle with God. God, you're a good God, right? And, and you love us and, and we're trying to be good and so why do bad things happen? We struggle with that at a deep, deep level. What I tend to tell people is just to simplify it and to say, hey, listen, God is parent. God is parent, kind of like capital P, parent. The way we are a parent, God is parent. And if we could simplify this idea that God is a parent the way we are parents, for those of us in here who have kids, do we realize that we made an intentional decision to bring children into a suffering world? Were we aware of that when we had kids? Did we think through that? So a good parent brings kids into the world and they will struggle at times. Now we hope they don't struggle a lot. We hope they have a good life. We trust that their life's gonna be full of love and laughter and relationship for sure. But we intentionally brought kids into a broken world and they will struggle. So the way any good parent will bring a child into the world knowing there's gonna be struggle, that's the same thing God did with us. It's the exact same thing. God is father, right? The way we are father, the way we are mother, and God intentionally brought us into a world that was broken. He intentionally brought us into a world that could choose good or evil. Just read Genesis 1, 2, and 3. He brought us into a world that could choose good or evil. He brought us into a broken world with broken nature and broken humankind and broken circumstances. And so, yes, when we struggle, we can choose to blame God, but if your kids struggle, will they choose to blame you as a parent for bringing them into this world? We've got four kids. Uh, we take them every single spring to Utah to ski. It's kind of our annual trip. We all look forward to it. And there's a risk involved in that, right? Uh, we take them on the trip because we want to spend some good time together. We want to experience something together, have fun together, a little adventure together, learn something new together, right? Do something incredible going down the slopes together. But there's a risk. 
Some kid just might get hurt. Some kid just might, you know, a half a day into learning how to snowboard, crash and break her arm, which happened a couple years ago, right? And so was it our fault? Was it our fault? Did uh, Aubrey, uh, with her mangled arm, start screaming, you did this to me, where were you, why did... No, we're a parent who brings a child into a world and this world has a lot of complications and there could be some suffering involved, there could be some tragedies involved. Was it our fault? Well, I suppose ultimately you could say, well, we brought you into the world, so I guess it's our fault if you want to blame somebody. But what God does is he gives us the freedom of love. And the freedom of love is risky. When you love a spouse, when you fall in love with another person, it's risky. There could be hurt there. When you bring a child into the world, it's risky. There could be hurt there. That's what God did with us. He in his divine providence said, I want to I wanna be in a relationship with my creation. So he made us in his image. That's risky. He made us with the capacity to love, which means we could choose good, we could choose evil, we could choose to love or choose not to. There is no real love if there is no real choice. God took a risk and brought us into the world as we take a risk and bring other human beings into the world as parents. If we can think it's really that simple, perhaps some of the noise in our heads about the what ifs and the whys start to kind of settle down. And maybe when we go through a period of hurt, instead of wondering where is God in all this, just think, God is a parent and he brought me into the world and he took the risk of love. And in this world, there will be some good things that happen, smiles and laughter and community and fun, but there will be some tough times in this world as well. And that's okay. And while it hurts, I can enjoy it all. God is parent the way we are parents. And one of the things that I think is most comforting is that because God is a parent to us, when we hurt, he hurts right along with us. I mean, I can't tell you the, the hours of pain that my wife and I felt as we're dealing with this very complicated break and all that Aubrey had to do to kind of recover and all she had to do to inconvenience her life. And, and we shed tears along with her because we're her parent. So when we go through a tough period of time, God is going through that with us. Did you hear that? When we are going through a tough period of time, God is going through it with us. Steve mentioned Lazarus earlier, right? He loses his life and, and his family is struggling. And what did Jesus do? John eleven thirty five. 35, he wept, he cried. And Jesus is the expression of the heart of God. So we know when we lose a loved one, God himself cries. When we go through a terrible diagnosis, God himself cries. When we're struggling emotionally or have been abused or a victim of a crime or natural disaster, God himself is suffering with us. 1 Peter 1.24 says this, as the scripture says, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flower fades. Get what God is saying here. God is saying we are like flowers, beautiful, beautiful flowers that he created with all the risk of, of being created in a broken world. We're like beautiful flowers. Each one of us is treasured. Each one of us is a magnificent miracle of life, right? We're like a flower. And certainly we would love every day for there to be warm sunshine and a cool breeze on our little flower, right? We would love that. But sometimes the storms come, sometimes the wind comes, sometimes the freezing comes, and that flower struggles. But that flower is still very beautiful. That flower is still magnificently made by the hand of God. That flower is deeply loved by God, whether it's warm sunshine and cool breezes or whether it's the torrent of the storm. We're a beautiful flower, and we do fade. We do fade. But in the midst of all that, whether it's a great day of sunshine and cool breezes or whether it's the torrent of a storm or whether we are fading 
or someone we love has faded, underneath all of that is a great comfort. As Megan said earlier during worship, that in the struggle and in the suffering and in the pain, God is right here. And he's comforting us by his presence and comforting us by his spirit. And we see the comfort of God himself and how Jesus wept with people who were weeping. And we also have that comfort from other people as people surround us and help us and hug us and weep with us and care for us. That is the presence of God in us all, helping each other. There's a great comfort there. But there's also this ultimate hope that even though this life includes some suffering, there is an eternity to come. There is an eternity to come called heaven in the presence of God where there will be no more weeping, crying, or pain. And for us who follows the resurrected Jesus who said, where I'm going, I will take you to be with me, there is that hope that that day will come as well. 